Guys, I invite you to open up your Bibles with me, and let's turn to our scripture reading for our sermon text today as we continue to worship the Lord through the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. We're in the Gospel according to Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 6. We finished back-to-back series on discipleship over the last few weeks. We were looking at the anatomy of discipleship. In the last three weeks, in the month of February, we were looking at the... Uh, at, uh, at Philippians chapter 3 and studying how do we pursue discipleship by faith as justified sinners. This week, starting this week, um, we have a new series that I'm going to be doing, preaching through this portion of Luke chapter 6. So um, I'll explain what the series is going to be and where we're going Uh, in just a moment. So I'll ask you to please stand with me for the reading of Holy Scripture. Luke chapter 6, we're going to read verses 20 to 26. This is God's holy word for us, his people. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, For you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you. And revile you. And spurn your name as evil. On account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day. And leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now. For you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now. For you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you. When all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in this word. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and now especially the preaching of your word. Write your truth upon our hearts and stamp the image of Christ upon our souls and lives today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You may not know this, but there are two versions of the so-called Sermon on the Mount. Now, the one that you all know is in Matthew chapter 5, chapters 5 to 7. Now, why is that sermon called the Sermon on the Mount? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying... And then he starts preaching the sermon. So it's the Sermon on the Mount because, like Matthew says, Jesus goes up on the mountain to preach it. 
This is perhaps the most recognizable and beloved of the teachings of Jesus. But did you know there is another version of this sermon in the Gospels? There is, right here in our passage for this series, Luke chapter 6. And there are some noticeable differences between these two versions. I'm just going to give you two of them. Number one difference, Luke's version is much shorter. Right? Luke's ver- Matthew's version is chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. He just keeps going. In Luke chapter 6, once you get to the end of Luke 6, and it's only a 49-verse chapter, and the sermon doesn't start till verse 20, by the time you get to verse 49, he's done. Luke's version is much shorter. Luke has a little bit of the beginning of Matthew 5, and he has a decent-sized chunk of what we read in Matthew 7, but there's none of chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, including the Lord's Prayer. You got the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's version, but not in Luke. Now, the material from Matthew 6, or at least some of it does show up, but Luke relocates that material to other contexts in his gospel. So it's much shorter. The second difference is there's a different setting in Luke's version. As we just saw in Matthew chapter 5, it says that Jesus goes up on the mountain. But in Luke 6, 17, just a little bit before our passage starts, it says, And Jesus came down with them, speaking of his disciples, he came down with them, he came down with them and stood on a level place. With a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coast and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. So in Matthew, he treks up the mountain and he perches up there and he, there he does the sermon. In Luke's version, he's already on the mountain and he comes down and stands on a level place to preach this version of the sermon. And so some of you might be tempted to say, well, which is it? Which version's correct? Up or down? <laughs> Gospels, come on. Is he up or is he down? Is this a contradiction in the Bible? And the, the answer to the question, is it up or down, is yes. Right? Most, most good answers to Bible questions are either Jesus or yes. <laughs> It's both. And the reason it's both, and the reason this is nothing to get upset about, like, you know, Luke didn't do something wrong by, you know, changing the, the setting of the sermon or something or making it shorter. The reason it's, it's fine is when you recognize the fact that Jesus was an itinerant teacher. Jesus traveled around a lot through Galilee. And I guarantee you, he didn't just... Go up on the mountain, say the Sermon on the Mount one time, start to finish, verbatim, boom, start to finish. And then he never repeated a word of it to anybody ever again. And Matthew just has a super awesome memory. <laughs> right? No, he's an itinerant teacher and preacher. He's crisscrossing Galilee. He's all over the place. He's teaching this stuff constantly. I'll bet he went over this material in different orders and in different settings with different people saying, excuse me, can you repeat that? Can you clarify that? I don't agree with that. He did this dozens and dozens and dozens 
of times. And so Matthew gives us one snapshot of what that was like, and Luke gives us one, another occasion. One time he's up on the mountain doing it, and then another time he's down the mountain doing it. And so Matthew gives us a snapshot of one, and Luke gives us a snapshot of the other. Jesus talked about this stuff more than once. So Matthew gives us an instance of Jesus preaching uh, one version, and Luke gives us the other. Matthew has him up the mountain. Luke has him down the mountain. So if I was going to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount, I would naturally call it the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to do a series on this version, and I've decided to call it the Sermon off the Mount. So that's where we're going over the next few weeks. The Sermon Off the Mount. Today we're going to look at the opening section of this sermon, which is the same as the opening section, or the same material as in Matthew's version. It's the section on the Beatitudes. And I want to ask three questions about the Beatitudes today. What is the nature of Beatitude? What's the basis of Beatitude and what is the opposite of beatitude? So let's start with the first. What is the nature of beatitude? And I shared this with the, with the um, Wednesday night Bible study group because we just covered some of this. And we're going through Matthew, so we covered this in Matthew's version. But I said, you know, I, when I was a kid, for a long time, I thought the, be, the, like the Beatitudes had like an extra T in it. Like it was B attitudes. Have this attitude. Here's the attitude you should be having or something. I didn't know what it meant, right? And so I was like, I don't get it. I don't know why they're called Beatitudes. Uh, so it was just a mystery. Well, what, what in the world is a Beatitude? What's the nature of Beatitudes? And beatitude comes from a Latin word, and it's, it's the word, it's the Latin word that underlies what we mean when we say blessed. Blessed. Blessed are you who are poor, blessed are the hungry, blessed, blessed, blessed. So the New Testament's written in Greek, that was, all, that was translated into Latin, and the Latin word underneath blessed is where we get beatitude. Well, what does it mean? Beatitude, I want to break it down like this. Beatitude, number one, has an external element to it. Beatitude has an external element to it. The blessed are those who enjoy the absolute and free favor of God. Beatitude belongs to those who receive and know themselves to be in the absolute and free favor of God. God's favor is upon me. That's blessing. And when you receive blessing, you are blessed. Right? And then, so this is referring to those who receive blessing as blessed. Those who are receiving the favor of God are those who have beatitude. So it's not about external goods or being fortunate. So many times we talk about, well, I'm blessed. And what we mean is I was able to sell my house or I was able to get a promotion or 
I found a $20 bill. Look how blessed I am. You know, or we, we mean like things go well, good things happen, or I've, I have things I should be thankful for, and we think about blessing in those terms. But at, an, at, a, at a higher level than those sorts of things, we're blessed, we have beatitude because we have God's favor upon us. We have God's free, merciful, gracious, loving favor upon our lives. That's the external element, God's favor upon us. But there's this internal element as well. The internal element is the tranquility, the peace, the contentment, and the satisfaction that we have deep, deep, deep down in the soul, in the low bottom of our hearts. This tranquility, this peace. Sometimes we think of blessed or blessedness as happiness. And happiness can, can be a deep word, but it can also be a, a perfectly shallow word or a surface level word. Like, I'm just happy. And this, what Jesus is talking about when he pronounces beatitude, when he pronounces blessing upon his disciples, it's something that's beneath happiness. It's something way down here underneath happiness. Our happiness sometimes is just this feeling that can come and go with the changing of our circumstances or just the changing of the weather. <laughs> right? I've felt like this. All winter. <laughs> I'm happy one minute. I take out the dog and I am unhappy immediately because it's so cold. <laughs> Where'd my happiness go? The wind carried it away. <laughs> happiness sometimes is that fleeting. It's, it's, about as, it's about that stable if a gust of cold air can knock it out of me. <laughs> happiness can come and go. It can ebb and flow, fluctuate. We're talking about something way, 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 way more solid and substantial that's underneath happiness. We're talking about blessedness. We're talking about having the kind of inner peace and tranquility of mind and satisfaction down in your soul that circumstances can't blow over. The kind of thing that will sustain you through. Ultimately, what blessedness is, is kind of what we sang about in that blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Being happy and blessed in Christ. We know that we have Christ. And in Him, our satisfaction in Him, our love for Him, our security in Him gives us what the song says, a foretaste of glory divine. One day, Christian, you're going to stand before the risen, reigning, living Son of God. And you are going to look at Him face to glorious face. And you are going to feel in that moment the most mind-boggling joy, satisfaction, completion, perfect Peace that you did not know a human being could possibly feel. 
when you look upon his face and see him as he is and his, the love and light of his eyes flood into your soul and absolutely gives you what we read about in our call to worship. Fullness of joy that lasts forever. We're talking about the joy you'll have with Jesus forever. We're talking about the kind of security and tranquility that comes from being with Christ forever and ever. We're talking about having a little teensy morsel of that down here. The joy and satisfaction you'll have with Jesus in your future has backtracked and you're getting a little taste of it now. This is the kind of blessedness. That's something that's not wispy and whimsical like that just comes and goes with happiness or... You know, little measures of contentment that can change as soon as someone, you know, speaks to you the wrong way. We're talking about rich, deep, powerful, solid and strong blessedness. A foretaste of what we'll know with Christ when we stand before him. And so what we need to do is to cultivate that. We need to cultivate that kind of blessedness. Which leads us into our second point. What's the basis of this beatitude? If we need to cultivate this kind of blessing, what's the basis of this kind of beatitude? Well, I have two things that are not the basis and two things that are. First thing that's not the basis of this kind of true blessedness, this beatitude. Number one, it is not based... On external circumstances. Look at verses 20 and 21. It says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Blessed are you who weep now. Who's this beatitude for? It's for the poor, the hungry, and the weeping. That tells me that this is not a, a feeling that comes and goes depending on our situation and our circumstances. It's not based on being out of poverty and having all the wealth you could ever want. Being able to go and just spend money and not worry about it. It's not based on having enough in the fridge to eat. It's not based on... Just being happy and chipper and never shedding a tear because it's all bright sunshine. It's not based on those sorts of things. It's something that isn't phased when you're out of food, out of money, and out of joy. Where you're weeping. It's not something that's phased by the kinds of things that make us weep. Tragedy and pain and broken relationships. This is something that's way down deeper than that, that those circumstances can't drill down and touch. That means it doesn't come from having good, favorable circumstances. And when we say we're blessed, and, we were, and, we're, and what we mean is we have favorable circumstances, okay, that might be a blessing, that's true, I'm not saying it isn't. But the point is, don't rely on your circumstances to have contentment. If you put your trust in things you, by nature, cannot hold on to, they will disappoint you in the end. You cannot hold on to the things of life, the goods and materials and wealth of life forever. Those things turn to 
water and they slip through our fingers and we can't hold on to them. We don't rely on our circumstances to feel this contentment in the Lord, to have beatitude. Second thing, it's not based on circumstance. And number two, it's not based on relationships. That's, that's verse 22. Blessed are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Do you, do you, do you know what it's like to be like literally hated by somebody? I don't just mean, yeah, that coworker thinks I'm annoying and sometimes is rude. I mean, does somebody hate your guts? I hope they don't, but if they do, do you, do you know what that's like to be hated or how about this, when they exclude you and revile you? I wonder if you've ever been reviled to your face. Not just someone's rude, not just someone just brushes you off or is flippant and doesn't think you're important and is just like out of my way. I mean someone who like in your face reviles you. Venom from their heart spewing at you. Some of us have had those, those kinds of conversations. Some of us have run into those kinds of people. Jesus says, when that guy's in your face cussing you for everything you're worth, spitting, reviling, kicking you out, hating you to your face, you're blessed. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Jesus, I think you got that backwards, bro. I, like, if, so while I'm being cussed out, I'm blessed. That's interesting. I don't, sometimes I don't live in that world because I don't experience getting cussed out that way. <laughs> None of us do. But Jesus is teaching us a whole nother way of, of being in the world, of interpreting reality, changing your perception. When you have this blessedness, you're not getting it because everybody likes you. It's not coming from knowing that I can please everybody and make everybody happy and no one's ever upset with me because I'm just going to please all people. That's a fantasy. We're not pleasing everybody. Even if we think they are, someone's whispering about us. <laughs> we cannot rely on our external circumstances to have this contentment and this blessedness that Jesus offers. It doesn't come from circumstance. And second, it does not come from people. If you put your hope in people to give you the kind of deep, lasting contentment and joy that you need, people will sin against you, people will let you down, people will come and go. We cannot rely upon relationships and we cannot rely on circumstances ultimately to be the source of this blessedness. So what's it based on then? Where does it come from? I think Jesus gives us two pointers here. First, it's based on belonging to God's kingdom. Verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor. Why? For yours is the kingdom of God. We talked about last week how we are citizens of heaven. That we are the citizens of heaven living in the Christian colony in a foreign land. Here we're told... That reality, that you belong to heaven, that you belong to Christ, that you belong to the king, that you're a citizen of his realm, and that you are under his protection and authority, that you belong to him, 
and that all the goods and benefits and gifts and glory of His kingdom, you're an heir of that? You stand to inherit the kingdom? Then yeah, you bet circumstances down here aren't going to affect my blessedness. Though it'll try, and if I let it affect me, it will. But I can have a blessedness down beneath all of my circumstances and all of my people issues in life because I belong to a king. A king who came to do battle with the forces of death and darkness and evil and the grave and conquered for me and has taken me out of that old kingdom of darkness and put me into his own kingdom to belong to him. Blessed are you when you are in absolute poverty because you are the heir of the throne of the kingdom. (laughs) So if I'm down here with nothing, I got a kingdom coming. Why am I going to be sad? Why am I going to have a pity party? I'm not going to do that because I have an inheritance that outstrips everything this world has to offer. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verse 32. He says, Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You're an heir of the kingdom. That's where your blessedness comes from. And then one more thing he gives us in this Uh, in this passage as a basis for our beatitude. It's God's promises. Verse 21. Blessed are you who are hungry now. Here's a promise. You shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now. Here's a promise. You're going to (laughs) laugh. We have these promises from God that there is satisfaction and The kind of joy that makes us burst into laughter. It's so amazing. Coming our way. When we fully inherit that kingdom. That satisfaction. That we'll know. That's our blessedness. That's coming. This beatitude. On the proper biblical basis. Leads to true joy. A joy that sustains us. Verses 22 and 23. Blessed are you when people hate you exclude you, revile you, spurn you as evil on account of the Son of Man. Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. The great reward is ours. The kingdom is ours. Christ is ours. All of God's grace and glory to come is ours. What a rich blessedness this gives us to sustain us through even the worst of circumstances. He says, rejoice and leap for joy. The reward you're coming will make all of this difficulty seem like nothing. That's the basis. Don't misplace your blessing. Don't put it in the wrong place. It comes from God. Last point, what's the opposite of beatitude? The opposite of beatitude. Jesus pronounces the opposite of beatitude uh, in verses 24 to 26. Look what he says. He says, woe to you who are rich, 
for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. You see how it's the exact parallel of the, of the blessed? Blessed are you who are poor. Woe to you who are rich. Blessed are the hungry. Woe to those who are full, etc. It's the opposite of the blessedness. So what's a woe? Well, woe is me. <laughs> we talk about that like, oh, I'm, I'm, having, you know, I'm, I'm in a difficult circumstance or I'm having a bad day. Woe is me. <laughs> well, if, if this beatitude is, the, is a foretaste of the joy and contentment of heaven, then this woe is the opposite of that. You see, he's saying that those who are putting their, those who are outside of the kingdom, those who are not heirs of the kingdom, those who put all their effort and their hope and their trust and their reliance on their wealth or their material things or people and relationships or status and power on all this world's goods, all the things this world wants us to live for and chase after and worship as our idols, those people who are trying to get their blessedness, their eternal consolation from this earth and the things this world has to offer, there is the opposite of blessedness coming for you. There is woe. There is God's curse. There is judgment. There is the results, the inevitable consequences of doing it our way instead of God's, seeking our kingdom instead of His. Those who find their blessedness and their beatitude in the things of this world and this life are resisting God, are fleeing from God, are not coming to Him to belong to Him. And He pronounces a woe upon them. And He says, if you put your hope in how rich you are, or how full you are, or how joyous life seems now, woe is coming. Woe is coming. Disappointment is coming your way. And one day there will be the great reversal. Those who are great in this world and have the status and all the stuff are going to be put to the bottom. The first shall be last. <laughs> and those of us on the bottom will be exalted into a kingdom that cannot pass away and cannot be shaken. The things of this world are empty. For those who are pursuing their own goods and their own ends, they, what they achieve in this life and what they get in this life is as good as it's going to get for them. And woe is coming in the end. There's a connection here to Lent. You notice we've changed the colors to purple. We just had Ash Wednesday, and this is the season of Lent. And it's the season where we fast. It's the season where we pick something to give up. And one of the reasons that we do that, and of course no one has to do that. That's just the traditional practice. So if you're doing that, that's good. If not, that's fine. But if you're participating or you're wondering about why we do it, part of the reason that we fast is to remind ourselves of what we're talking about here. To do without to remind ourselves to be like these who are poor, to do without, so that we remind ourselves to be like these who are hungry, to do without, to go through a period of repentance and fasting, preparing ourselves to be like this and not putting our hope and trust in the things that we have. 
This is about weaning our hearts off of this world and seeking a deeper satisfaction in the Lord Jesus. So let us cultivate this blessedness. Let us seek to cultivate, especially in this Lenten season, to seek this blessedness by repentance, by fasting, by seeking to be like those that Jesus pronounces his blessings upon and not like those who have only woe to anticipate. Let us do this so that we can truly sing together that it is well, truly well with our souls. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would give us true blessedness, that you would teach us to not put our hope and trust in material things, in the things of this world, certainly not to pursue them as idols, but to set our eyes upon you, to crave you, to, be, to go without food perhaps, to teach ourselves to hunger more for you, to see ourselves as impoverished so that we might be enriched by having more of you, to see ourselves as lowly, so that in due time you will come again and exalt us. Teach us to long for your kingdom and to put all our hope in you, our great king, and the promises you make to us. And help us to have the kind of stability, peace, and deep, rich beatitude down at the bottom of the soul that will sustain us through all the ups and downs of life, all the difficulties and all the circumstances. Give us that thing that helps us to dance in the midst of the pain, to sing your praise, and to be satisfied in you no matter what is happening around us. That is deep, real, true blessedness. And I pray you would work that in our hearts as we look to Christ and understand that he is enough. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.